Hello, my name is Evan Jacobs and welcome to the Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir Aftermath podcast. These interviews are part of an ongoing series chronicling the hardcore punk music scene in Orange County, California and sometimes elsewhere. They are an addendum to the film Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir. This is a documentary I made that chronicles the 1990s hardcore punk scene. You can stream Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir on Vimeo. For $2 a month, you can watch every Anadimia film by subscribing to Anadimia Films Unlimited on Vimeo. Links for all this stuff are in each episode description. To support this podcast, please like, rate, and review it. Also, please subscribe to Anadimia Films TV on YouTube, where you can view all of these podcasts in their original video form. Speaking of education, so 1995, Endpoint is not is, is done at that point. You're doing another band, but you were gonna, but you became a teacher. Like like, how do you find yourself getting into teaching ABA doctor? Like like, um, I was fascinated when I saw that. I really wanted to ask you about that. No, so like, uh, you know, my dad was a teacher. Uh, he told me not to teach. Why? Why? quit teaching. Because he hated it, because he wasn't good at it, I don't think. I think that he could not um, understand cultural linguistic diversity. So busting was happening, and there were kids that didn't look like him from other parts, of the, and he blamed them for his inability to be able to be an effective teacher. And so he was just tired, uh, exhausted, um, and he wasn't able to change and get better, I think, at it. And he was going to be an administrator, and then he missed an opportunity. So finally, he decided he wasn't going to do it anymore. And that's the honest truth. And I think he would admit to it as well. Um, and so, you know, any good punk kids, like, screw you, Dad, I'm going to teach anyway. Uh, but I also was a peer tutor with kids with uh, uh, intellectual disabilities when I was in fifth grade. And at that point, I was like, huh. And so I just kind of thought that was a good path for me. It was kind of social justice. It was a little different. Um and so I, I think I might have taken one semester off of school, but the rest of the time I was in, you know, in school. So Endpoint would tour in the summers. We would like be in Kentucky. We'd drive. I'd have a, like a day off of school. We'd drive Friday all day, play a show in New York, go to Boston, drive back Sunday, and I'd be ready to, you know, go back to school and teach again. And we even did that when I was, I was teaching uh, with some of the other bands. So we would get up, by the grace of God, again, I would get home at four in the morning go to class and start teaching. Uh, so, what, so that happened. What, what subject at that at that point? So that time I, I taught a self-contained classroom for kids with, now we say extensive support needs, but those would be kids with moderate to severe intellectual disability, autism, kids that have uh, limited vocal repertoires. Um, but yes, so yeah, so that's what I did. I taught middle school. Um, and then... I did that for several years, and then I uh, was asked if I would come out and help teachers that were trying to, well, the district was trying to include several kids with autism in general education programs, and their parents were demanding it. So at that time, ABA therapy really was mostly coming from California. So people from California would fly out, train families. They'd be getting 40 hours of intensive therapy, 
But there's also this kind of myth that it, it would cure autism. Right, right. So parents were like, oh, well, they need to be in the general education classroom. They need this type of 40 hours instruction. Um, and they were threatening to sue the school district. So this young, goofy guy, me, right, they're like, well, we'll ask him to come out. And he can be like an itinerant and go around and help these teachers do a better job with the kids. And it was hard because, you know, I'm, I'm in my 20s. These are veteran teachers. Yep. And when that came to like, oh, are you ready to take them out? I'm like, no, my job is to keep them in. Right? So um, so I did that. And then I got Oh, ready. wait, wait. Just you saying that, like, like, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just That's like, I, I've, oh, wow. No, because I've been there. I've been there. And it's, and it's, and it's like, because you so want that you and the teacher to be cool with each other and to know that you have each other's back but at the same time you gotta do what's right for the student okay so yeah go on i'm, I'm, I'm yeah, sorry absolutely. what you so said I got got me okay so yeah. i got tired i got really tired of running back and forth in school always the threat of legal i mean the parents liked me so i was always like this kind of like between the district, like I'd be secretly telling the parents, like, yeah, maybe it's an okay idea for you to switch schools, you know, because this teacher's not moving. You know, I'm trying to keep everybody, I'm trying to keep everybody from suing each other and right. trying to move the, move the kid forward. Um, and it was just tiring. So I, Duncan had moved out to Colorado and he was like, hey man, you want to, you should come visit. I came visit. They had an extra bedroom in the house they were ha they had, and I was like, I, and I moved out there for a year. I, I went back teaching in a classroom. So I had this time I had elementary kids, fourteen, um, mostly autism, one little guy with Down syndrome, a young one with Angelman syndrome, and then a woman with uh, a, a girl with severe and profound like physical. You know, she basically she had a few cries and she was in a wheelchair, uh, didn't move, and so we had to do a lot of specialized programming with her. Um, but she was awesome. That sounded very, it sounded very deficit oriented, but she did. She just didn't have a very broad, she had very few skills. And right. so uh, we had to make sure that you really attend to her and be there because otherwise the kids that are running out the door and whatever, they get all the attention. Uh, so I did that. And then I started missing playing music. I missed being home. And so I came back to Louisville. The school district said, they made a joke. They like, we're like Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. So I became like their autism resource person. Uh, and then, uh, so I had a big caseloads and ran, did that for a while. Uh, and then I was getting rendered incompetent. Like, so people would, would send me everywhere to help. And then you'd have like 70 something kids. You're, you're across a giant school district uh, that you're supposed to be helping. And there's just no time. So you're not getting out for you know, once every couple of weeks, you're getting out to different schools. And it just became, and districts do that all the time. It's like if you if you do uh, if they find some good people, they're going to use those people not in a systematic ways, but just to put out fires constantly. Hold on, like a, hold on. <laughs> You've experienced that, I can see, huh? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk uh, when I'm not recording about about that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That and will so, burn you out. It will, and so I. Got a phone call. I've been doing a lot of stuff now. So I've been, you know, I'm doing professional development for the district. I'm um, doing some stuff at the state level. And I got a call from this guy at the University of Kentucky, which is a strong behavioral special ed program. And they had just gotten a, um, a grant to fund doctoral students and asked me if I wanted to apply. So I applied. I got the gig. And then, I mean, I didn't even know, like, okay. You know, I didn't even know what a CV was. 
quick little beta until I even started the program. I was like, oh, is that, you know, and so somehow the door opened, I stepped in and then I kind of haven't looked back. Uh, and then re- so I was at my, my career, I went back to Louisville, which is only an hour and 15 minutes from the UK. I was very lucky. So all my friends, family got to play music there. And then a couple of years ago, um, I got a, a letter, uh, a solicitation to apply at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, which has a very strong special ed program and a great doctoral program. University of Louisville is awesome as well. Wonderful people there. Uh, I just, things were really good there. And as a behavior analyst, you know, if you have to grow, you got to change your environment. So I was like, let's do it. I'm, you know, so we went, we applied for it. Didn't think I would get it because it, it, it was an endowed position, which is like a kind of a special position. Um, and somehow I got it. That's where I am now. I'm doing research and writing grants and teaching classes. And um, yeah, love it. Miss Louisville all the time, but really enjoy my new colleagues here and playing a band. My department chair used to book shows in uh, Kalamazoo in the late 80s. And I'm like, what? And so <laughs> Plays good guitar, plays guitar well, and we're like, all right, let's do a band. So we did that. Found some German guy, Tim Kreependorf, who like saw my saw Endpoint play in Germany in like in the nineties, like and now he lives in the US. He plays bass and the guy that owns the record store, Lunchbox, plays drums. So What do you think it is? Because I mean so many people I know that have passed through the scene work with people who are neurodiverse. Like it is a it is what do you think it is about that? Is it just the wanting to help, the wanting to just leave things better than you found it kind of thing? Maybe trying to help people that you see yourself in? I think, I think there's, I mean, I think there's a lot of mediating, mediating factors. First, a lot of people wander. You know, a lot of our friends wander around for a while. And so it's, the entry level, you know, like to go into teaching, there's always a need for teachers. So it's always an available field, right? So that's one thing. So in the service industry, there's always a need for people. I think that people, especially people that are in bands, they're used to working hard. And so they're like, all right, you know, like it is hard work, but that's what I want to do. I think there is a, a, like a perceived goodness to that work, right? Like you can, if you're a punk and you're also a teacher, it makes sense, right? If you're a punk and you become a finance manager, you know, a, a, some like overseas account, that seems a little weird. So, so, so I think it aligns with the narrative that we paint for ourselves. Um, and I think it is, you know, once you get into it, I, I do think it's just we have spent a lot of time. Not, and I don't think always, always not not giving lip service to this idea that you know differences are beautiful. And cool, you know, and I think it's better. I think that we humanize people better than others sometimes, right? Even though we don't always play out that, it doesn't always play out that way. But I, I do, I think that that's, a, um, so I think there's a lot of different reasons why it's that what's a good fit for a lot of people that grew up in this kind of scene. 